I trust you have already seen the vastness and the depth of the subject of purity that in these two books the Apostle Paul went into considerable length in mentioning and highlighting purity to this young man, Timothy. Timothy was a minister. He was in many ways needs of encouragement, of instruction. It doesn't matter what age you are. That's the same. We need encouragement. Now I want to, this evening, focus purely. I didn't mean to say that. Focus solely on the subject of purity. And I'm going to ask a question, first of all, for you to think about it. If I was to say, can you give me another word for purity? What would you give me? What does purity mean? If I said to you the word uncontaminated, I think that's a fair description of what it means to be pure, uncontaminated. For example, uh, there's a glass of water here somewhere. And I could, with reasonable confidence, say that it is pure water. And when you talk about pure water, what you have is nothing but water. Now, obviously, nothing in this life is perfectly pure sea of Christ. We live in a fallen world. Even this glass of water, and it will be through all the processes of, of cleaning and everything else, there will be particles in there, and there's other things in there, parts of fluoride and so on, to, uh, to, to protect the water, protect me. There's things in that. So, although it's as pure as we can get, it's not perfectly pure. But you know what I mean? When something's pure, it's the one thing. Pure gold is gold that has went through the furnace several times to get out all of the impurities. Pure means to be uncontaminated. Let me show you the opposite. Will you turn with me please to Ecclesiastes chapter 10? Ecclesiastes. So we have the book of Proverbs. And then uh, you have the book of Ecclesiastes thereafter. Chapter 10, this is one of those verses uh, that it's, it's easy to remember. Um, it stands out, it's, it's an illustration, and Solomon used many illustrations in his book. The verse reads as follows, Dead flies cause the ointment of the apothecary to send forth a stinking savour. So doth a little folly him. That is in reputation for wisdom and honor. Here you have impurity. Gentlemen, I'm sure you'll agree with me that a good, a good fish and chip is hard to beat. It's getting very costly. And I'm originally from Balamina. That makes it all the less appealing to me, of course. But a good fish and chip is hard to beat. There's no doubt about it. And if you went to a restaurant, you sat down, and you ask them, can I have some salt and vinegar? They might bring you a wee uh, salt shaker for the salt. And then they might set down a bottle of vinegar in front of you. Now, fish and chips is good, but when you add salt and vinegar, it's a whole new level. whole new level. But if that, salt, if that vinegar had a big, ugly, blue bottle lying there on the top of it, legs and wings dissect it and floating in different directions... Just lying at the very top, exactly where you would pour the vinegar out. Would you take it? You wouldn't be so, you'd be hard done to before you would, I would imagine. It's been spoiled. It's on pure ladies. If you're 
husband, boyfriend, whatever, was to purchase a lovely present for you, if they were to go into a nice shop and buy you some perfume, and that's the context of the verse here, they buy you a nice perfume, and you open it up on your birthday, whatever the occasion may be, and again, there's that same big, well, not the same one, a different blue bottle, not doing the backstroke because it's long dead, and it's, it's disintegrated, and might lose its appeal to you. You might say, thanks, but I might get a refund and buy another bottle all the same. That's the idea of the text. When something is spoiled, and I think that illustration of the fly in the ointment helps us understand how God sees us when there's sin. When there's sin there, unrepented of, no victory over it. We're, we're ruined, we're spoiled, and will not be inclined to be used of God, but set to the side. So purity, men and women, is something that we are interested in, and it is something that God sets great emphasis on in the Word of God. Purity is very important to our Lord. We read in the Scriptures that He is of purer eyes than to behold iniquity. The Lord says, be ye holy, for I am holy. Now, holiness is related to purity, but it carries the same idea of being cleansed from sin, separated from sin. But can I say this tonight? In case there's someone here who misunderstands what purity is, you might think, right, from this day forth, if God wants me to be more pure, I'm going to be pure. And I'm going to set out now and go to church on Sundays and read my Bible, and that's good. I would absolutely recommend you do that with all of your heart. The subject tonight is keep thyself pure. That title clearly sets the stage for something prior. You have to first of all be made pure before you can keep yourself pure. We're all born in transgressions and in sin. We're broken. We're filthy in God's sight. We need the Lord to purify us. And that's salvation from the outset here. That's important to understand, first of all. You see, justification is when God purifies us. He takes those records that we have in heaven and he erases all of our sin. I'll actually rephrase that a different way. It's not so much that he erases it. The Lord takes that record of our sin and he puts it in Christ's record. And in place of that, he takes Christ's pure record and gives it to us. So it's not that the sin is erased. It is that Christ has taken it to deal with it. But our record is pure. That's justification. And that is necessary for salvation. The last book of the Bible makes it very clear. Now, if you're going to enter into heaven, you have to be justified. You have to be made pure. You have to be saved. Revelation 21, 27, it says, And there shall in no wise enter in anything that defileth. Nothing can enter into heaven that defileth. No sin. No impurity. Now, nobody is perfectly pure. But Christ is able to take our records and make us pure in the sight of God. And that's the gospel. You can't do that yourself. So starting from this day forward to try and live a pure life doesn't get rid of all the impurities in the past. That's Christ's work and Christ's work alone. He can only undo the sin or he can only pay the price for the sin that you've already committed. Now, once you are saved, don't put the cart before the horse. Once you're saved, 
Once God has made you pure, then the question and topic tonight comes to the fore. How now do I maintain this purity? How do I keep clean before God who has washed me at great price? You see, the moment you're saved, when the Holy Ghost enters in, there is a desire for purity. A desire to stay away from that which grieves God. Why? Because God has entered in. The Holy Ghost has his abode within you. And you want and desire to be clean. If not, you're not saved. The Holy Ghost enters in. And he will give you a desire to grow in grace. He will sanctify you. This is part of sanctification that we're talking about tonight. So... The desire is in the heart of every believer to be pure. But there is a battle. Even Paul the Apostle makes that battle clear in Romans 7 where he says there, you know, the things I would do, I do not. And the things I would not, those the things I do. And he's expressing there the wrestle in his own heart that there is sin. There's the world, the flesh, the devil. There's temptation. There's so much In culture, from Adam and Eve's day, there's so much in culture to draw us away from God into lust and sin and that which is unclean. You and I ought to be very careful that we don't enter into that culture of producing uncleanness and we ourselves ought to make sure that we do not tarnish ourselves with the unclean things of this world. There's There's little to nothing in culture. It's going to help you be more pure before God. Now, when the Spirit enters in, there is a desire to become more pure. Would you go with me, please, to the book of Ephesians, New Testament. So we're leaving Ecclesiastes there, going to Ephesians. We'll leave that horrible thought of the vinegar with the big blue bottle dissecting while it's in there, just rotting away. It's like sin. And we'll go to Ephesians. Because here's the change. When the Lord saves, he does a good work in us. But look what the Lord expects. So Ephesians chapter 2. Let's pick up the reading please. uh, At the verse number 8. For by grace. So it's God's gift. We know this verse. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. We all know that verse. We know the next verse as well. Not of works, lest any man should boast. So salvation's of grace. God has purified your records. But look at verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto purity. Unto good work. The Lord has saved us that we would be pure. That's the Lord's will for you. He saved you not to play around with sin. Not to play with the fire of lust and worldliness. But to be pure in a world that is very much impure. Men and women, it is the Lord's will that we would be a people who are sanctified, a people who are clean, a people who are pure. And so the question then has to be established, asked tonight and then answered, how do we keep ourselves pure? 
Now, sanctification is not just our work. It is the work of the Lord and us. It is a justification is all God. But the work of sanctification, the Lord works with us to cleanse and to clean. We are not the only participator. It is the Lord who works in us to sanctify us. First Thessalonians makes that clear. We'll read that later on. So as we begin our process now to work out how we keep ourselves pure, we, we begin with the word prayer. Pray. Lord, take me in hand. Lord, purify me. Lord, sanctify me. Lord, do your good work. May the Holy Ghost have control of my heart and my mind and influence me for good. Cleanse me from sin. May the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ cleanse me daily from my iniquity. Lord, give me victory. Cleanse me. Should be your regular prayer. It is the Lord's will that you would be clean. That you would be pure. So when you pray that, understand this. You're praying according to the will of the Almighty God. Now, what then part do we pray? Sorry, what part do we play in the work of our sanctification? Because would you go with me back to 1 Timothy? And let me read uh, one of these verses with you. Um, it's our text actually tonight, 1 Timothy chapter 5 and the verse 22. 1 Timothy 5, 22. And just for a minute, go to the end of the verse. I'll explain the rest of the verse in a moment or two, but just go to the end of the verse, those last few words, where, we, where it says, keep thyself pure. Now Paul is writing to Timothy, this young man, but he said to him, or wrote to him, saying, keep thyself pure. Now that makes it very clear. That there was a responsibility on the part of Timothy to do certain things to make sure he was pure. Now the Lord doesn't give you and I a command to do something if we are not able to do it. He also gives the ability. And the Lord said here to Timothy and to you and I, we ought to keep ourselves pure. There is something we have to do as well. We don't only, as is very often said, let go and let God. Salvation is all of the Lord, but sanctification, we have our part to play, men and women. We have a responsibility before God to keep ourselves pure. What then do we do? Well, we pray, as we said, firstly. Secondly, we ought to protect ourselves. We ought to protect ourselves. You see the verse that's before us here. It speaks of... The phrase, keep thyself pure. But look at the rest of the verse. It says here, verse 22 of 1 Timothy 5, Lay hands suddenly on no man, neither be partaker of other men's sins. So that's a verse we often use. Uh, I, I know people in, in Lauren Free have used that sometimes. Uh, maybe it's been uh, a Saturday. And uh, somebody has, for whatever reason, been unable to come and, and testify. And I might phone someone else up and say, I'm sorry, uh, but I need you to come and testify. Or there was one time I took very on well. And I had to ask a brother in the Lord, I'm not well today, you're going to have to go and preach for me because I'm just not fit to do it. And very often that's when this verse is quoted, lay hands on no man suddenly. Well, what the verse actually seems to mean, it's more in the context of 
bringing someone into the church, into a position of authority. Don't lay hands quickly on someone or early in someone's conversion experience. But give time for them to to develop and grow. Because there may be sins. You don't know that person very well perhaps. And there may be sins that that person's guilty of or struggling with and haven't got the victory over yet. And if they were to become uh, part of the governing body, for example, of the church, the rest of the world would look at that and see, well, that church must accept that kind of behavior because that man does those sinful things and yet they've ordained him. So therefore the church are happy with that behavior. And what you're doing, well, read the verse again, verse 22, lay hands suddenly on no man, neither be partaker of other men's sins. Don't associate even with other people's sins. Don't connect yourself with other people's sins. You might not even be committing the sin, but the Lord says you keep yourself pure. You be careful who you even associate yourself with. So when it comes to the work of purity, we ought to protect ourselves. If you go over as well to 1 Timothy uh, Second Timothy, actually, and the verse 15, it says here, study to, so, to show thyself approved unto God. Think of verse 16, but shun profane and vain babblings. Verse 17, and their word will eat as doth a canker worm of whom I'm of whom Hymenius uh, and Philetus. And here were two men who were moving in the church and they were breeding heresy and they were bringing shame to the work of God. And again, the Lord is emphasizing to Peter here, just be careful who you associate yourself with. Just watch your testimony. Don't become partakers of other men's sins. Now, when we talk about protecting ourselves, and we're thinking about being very careful, even who our friends are, who your associations are with. Well, there's no better verse than the book of Proverbs. Go to Proverbs. I'm turning you to an awful lot of scriptures tonight, and I'm going to keep on doing so. So uh, do stay with me as best you can, and turn with me to these verses. Proverbs 13. And the verse 20. Proverbs 13. And the verse 20. He that walketh with wise men, shall be wise. Keep fellowship and spend time with others who are wise and God that rubs off birds of a feather flock together, that's for sure, and iron sharpens iron. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. And there you have the same emphasis. You see, if you walk with fools, that will bring you into impurities. That will bring you into danger. That will bring you into situations which is not helpful for your walk with God. So protect yourself. Can I take you to another portion of scripture where this is illustrated in the most shocking manner. And what an awful circumstance this was. Go to Second Samuel. And here is a young man who had terrible company. And he was a son, a son of David. Godly David, who wasn't perfect himself by no means, but a godly man. 
And in 2 Samuel chapter 12, Sorry, chapter 13. 2 Samuel chapter 13. Here we read, And it came to pass after this that Absalom, the son of David, had a fair sister. Absalom was a very attractive man, we're told in the Bible. He also had a sister who is described in the Bible as being fair. That's God's estimation of her appearance. She was blessed with a fair countenance. So, And it came to pass after this that Absalom, the son of David, had a fair sister, whose name was Tamar. And Amnon, the son of David, loved her. And Amnon was so vexed that he fell sick for his sister Tamar. For she was a virgin, and Amnon thought it hard for him to do anything to her. So here's Amnon. And we read here that he was vexed and what you have is a man who's lovesick. That's the language. He's lovesick here over Absalom's sister, a fair young woman. Word of caution. Just because you feel lovesick over someone, it doesn't mean it's right. It doesn't mean it's God's will. Um, I can't help but just always be reminded of when I was a young man, I had a friend at that time, and we, 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 were, we were young, we were, you know, 15, 16, and my friend announced to me um, one evening, you know, David, I can't eat. As a 15-year-old boy, I can't eat, and I can't sleep. I just, I'm, I'm in love with this girl. And circumstances worked out that they did get together, lasted for a month, and that was it, all over. That was it. There was no, no, no substitute whatsoever. And that's similar here to Amnon, only it got much more serious. Because Amnon had a bad friend. Would you read with me? Uh, verse 3. But Amnon... Had a friend. He had an association. He had bad company. And Amnon had a fool of a friend. Whose name was Jonadab. The son of Shemaiah David's brother. And Jonadab was a very subtle man. And he said unto him to Amnon. Why art thou being the king's son lean from day to day? Wilt thou not tell me? And Amnon said unto him, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. And Jonadab said unto him, Lay thee down on thy bed, make thyself sick. And when thy father cometh to see thee, say unto him, I pray thee, let my sister Tamar come and give me meat and dress uh, the meat in my sight that I may see it and eat at her hand. And the plot was made to get her into the room on her own. Amnon had bad advice given to him. He had bad company. And he took the advice. They plotted. They schemed. And Amnon took Tamar. Treated her in the most awful, wicked way. It was all lust. It was all sin. And here was the outcome. Look at verse 15. Look at verse 15. Once he had had his fill of lust. It says in verse 15. Then Amnon hated her 
exceedingly. So that the hatred wherewith he hated her was greater than the love wherewith he had loved her. And what that means is, he madly loved her lustfully before. And now he madly hates her. You see, lust, lust men and women, does not bring joy. When we think about the subject of purity, it's always good to have in your mind what you're running from. When temptation comes to sin, when there's impurity before you, you remember Amnon, as soon as he got the thing that he lusted after, he hated it. There was no enjoyment in it, no love in it. And that's the way lust is. I remember like a faithful, a faithful woman who used to teach in our, our children's meetings in Ballymena when I was growing up. And she gave a great illustration as a wee boy. I never forgot it. She stood in front of the church with two apples. And she said, you know, to, to everyone listening, you know, here's two apples. And one was shiny and, and looked superb. And the other one, well, it's a bit duller and just not as appealing to the eye. And she asked one of the kids to come up and take which one you want. And he lifted the shiny one, the nice looking one. And as soon as he lifted it, he knew there was something wrong. And this dear woman of God said to the wee fella, go ahead, bite into it. But he couldn't. It wasn't a real apple. It was imitation. If he would have bit into it, it broke his tooth, teeth. And he would have found there was nothing but, well, nothing inside. It was imitation. But it looked good on the outside. But it did not satisfy if he would have sink his teeth into it. And that's the same with sin. And that's the same with lust. It never satisfies. But you hate it. Isn't that right? God's ways are good. So we ought to protect ourselves in regards to our associations. Let's go back to 1 Timothy, please. And that chapter, um, the chapter 2, 2 Timothy chapter 2 is where we are. He said here to young Timothy to pursue a youthful, uh, sorry, a pure heart. Verse 22, flee also youthful lusts, he said to Timothy. But follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Flee that which is wrong. Protect yourself. Flee company that will only bring you into sin and foolish behavior. Choose your friends and your associations wisely. But another great emphasis of this passage, there's two things. I'm going to mention one tonight. Uh, the other one is conversation. This verse, this passage talks a lot about your conversation. And we ought to be careful how we talk as well and what we talk about. And the conversations that we have, be careful with your tongue, men and women, because you can talk and talk yourself into conversations that just aren't healthy. You watch your tongue, men and women, when you're out and about. I will say this, uh, for many years I was in the building trade and thoroughly enjoyed the building trade. And I had a, a good friend that I worked with, a good, a good godly man. I had a great sense of humor. Uh, I was just... From, from 7 o'clock in the morning to 6 at night, it was a just steady string of jokes. And I enjoyed, I enjoyed working with them. But the problem was, well, him and I were saved, but when you're out in the building site, well, there was a lot of ungodly uh, uh, conversation as well. 
And my colleague and I, we were talking to some men on the site. Everyone was fine at the job. And as usual, he broke into his usual jokes. And he began to tell a couple. And we were all, we were all laughing. And then one of the other men began to tell his joke. And well, let's just say I wouldn't be repeating it in anybody's company. And I always remember what the big fella did. With great conviction, he said to the man, that's enough. I'm a Christian. And I don't want to take part in this conversation. If it's going to be ungodly. And just walked away. He just stopped it. And I always remember, I remember the look in the faces of the men that were there. They just went peel. And, and it, was, it was just a wonderful demonstration of, again, be careful where your conversation goes. But the one thing I do want to emphasize in this portion, so we thought there about protect yourself with your associations and your friendships. Protect yourself in regards to your conversation. That's in the portion. Go read yourself and you'll see that. But look with me at verse 15. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Remember... Uh, Paul is saying to Timothy, you know, be of a pure heart. But he begins this discussion by saying, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, but shun profane and vain babblings. All right? So he starts this discussion by saying, read the word of God, know the Bible, know the book that is before you. You see, when we come to the subject of pursuing purity or intake is of great importance. What do we take in? You see, the reality is, men and women, we are sinful creatures and we are fallen yet saved by the grace of God. We need to be careful what we feed ourselves. If good stuff's coming in through the eyes, through the ears, through the senses. You're feeding yourself on the truth of God's word and that which is wholesome and good. Well, that helps with purity. If you want to be pure, the word of God makes this very clear. You wash yourself. You saturate yourself in truth. A couple of ways I want to illustrate this for you. I'm going to turn you, keep your finger there in First, Second Timothy because I'll be back there soon. And you know the verse, Psalm 119 and the verse 9. Now, rather than read it to you, I want to demonstrate it. So Psalm 119 and the verse 9, you can look at it there. There were some folk beforehand were curious as to what I was bringing to the pulpit, and this is what it is. I don't know if the caretaker's here or not tonight, but when I do this illustration at home, my caretaker's heart just misses a wee beat, as does mine. Now, I hope that most of you, you just can't see, I apologize, I'm going to show it to you, Matt, don't worry. So, here's you and me, just all that, all that sin that's there. And now... What's the best way to get rid of all that dirt that's in the cup? Well, you could take maybe your, your own efforts and like a spoon and start to do a wee bit yourself, okay? Spoon a wee bit out and a wee bit more, a wee bit of maybe sin that you struggle with and you're going to really set your New Year's resolutions and 
do your very best and you keep on spinning. You've been a long while of spinning all that out. And then one day something comes along and you're caught into more sin and just goes from bad to worse. Now what's the best way to clean yourself of that? Very simple. You pour in lots of clean water like so. And you can see what's happening here. Now, I haven't the whole, enough water to clean this completely. And I don't want to overflow, so I've been very, very careful. But I did see a bottle here, and I'm going to use that too. Not all of it, or there could be a mess up here. But the more water, men and women, you pour in, you can see that this is always getting cleaner. So the best way to clean, the best way to purify yourself is to fill yourself with that which is good. Now, read Psalm 119 and the verse 9. Where with all shall a young man cleanse his ways? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. With my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wonder from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I may not sin against thee. This whole portion is about purity, about filling yourself with that which is good, with the word of God. Let me illustrate another way for you. What's the best way to get air out of a bottle? What's the best way to get the hot air of your sin out of yourself? Well, the best way to get air out of a bottle is to fill it with water. Same with your own heart and soul. If you want to get rid of sin, you fill your head, your heart, your mind with truth and the word of God. So, when sin knocks at the door, when temptation arises, you start to fill your head with truth. Let me ask you a question. And think this one through for a moment. What do you think about when you have nothing to think about? When it's quiet, and there's silence. No one talking to you. You're on your own. You're not working. What do you think about when you have nothing to think about? Now, the devil always finds work for idle hands, and we all know that. What's the best thing to do then? Think about the Word of God. There is nothing so healthy as to take portions of the scripture, chapters, whatever, and just discipline yourself to, to try and memorize them. And when some sinful temptation comes across your heart and mind and it grabs your head, you go to that verse and just start memorizing it. And what you're doing is this. Tonight we have seen some of the dangers of, of what happens when you do go into sin. We want to touch that very, very briefly. But sin always ruins and temptation leads you into sin. We think there in Amnon and he would have been far better when he was filled with his lustful thoughts rather than meditating and thinking what might happen, how he could pull this off. Just, just think about the Bible. Just fill your head with that which is good and truth. Men and women, when it comes to the work of purifying ourselves, we ought to pray to the Lord that he would sanctify us. We ought to protect ourselves, not moving in company that will lead us into sin. Okay, protect our conversation, and our associations. We ought to, thirdly, 
core truth. Pour the word of God into your heart. When lust and temptation comes, you think in, you think in Joseph. What a great example. Joseph, who was taken, who, who was who was taken the hold of by Potiphar's wife to enter into sin, and what did he do? He ran. That's good advice. When sin and temptation comes, you run. Might be a person, just you move away. Might be something on a screen. You flick on by it. You don't have to examine these things. You just you move on. You flee and run away from it all. So we pray. We protect ourselves by God's grace. We pour truth into our hearts and our minds. Can you turn with me to a portion here? And then I want to come to a concluding thought. Um, Philippians, the book of Philippians. And you know, we're thinking here about pouring the word of God into our hearts and minds and Instead of running to our lustful thoughts, running to the word of God. And look what we see here in Philippians chapter 2. And Philippians is a great book. I preached this some years ago. and There's a great emphasis in taking control of your mind. Gird up the minds, the word of God says elsewhere. And we gird up the mind with truth. And look what Paul says in Philippians here chapter 2. Ah, uh, let me lay my eyes on it now. Why am I not seeing this? Let me see. It's chapter 4, chapter 4. He's talking here about rejoicing. It's all about Christ, this book. Keep your eyes in Christ. Keep your head filled with things about Christ. Then come to verse number 8. Finally, brethren. Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are, and there's our word, pure. Whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. That verse is saying, get a hold of your mind. Maybe you're a warrior. The word of God says, fret not, and I know it's easier said than done. I appreciate that. But know what the word of God does exercise us to do when the mind is filled well with lust for thoughts or sinful thoughts or might be worries and concerns. The word of God says you think in things that are true. When we worry nine times out of ten and a worrier is going to say I but then there's the once and I know that but nine times out of ten what we're worrying about is never going to happen. When you're worrying, you will think about 10 different scenarios. And you, your body and your mind is living in a reaction to each of those 10 that they might happen at any moment. Well, all 10 is definitely not going to happen. So what you're worrying about definitely won't happen. What we do have to do is think about things that are true. Just what's true. Things that are honest and lovely and clean and pure. God says, get a hold of your mind, believer. Don't let it run wild, but tame it. Control the mind. Now, let me just say here in closing, because I want to um, tie this up. Fourthly and finally, we thought about praying. We thought about protecting. We thought about pouring in truth. Now, what about the pleasure? The pleasure of purity. Remember, 
And we'll not turn to it for the sake of time, but remember David in Psalm 51. And David had sinned against Bathsheba, or sorry, with Bathsheba. And he'd also committed murder. He murdered her husband. And you can't help but feel, you know, your heart goes out to David. He did something incredibly wrong. And he deserved hell for it. 100%. But David was a believer. And in that psalm, he pours out his broken heart before God. And deep into that psalm, halfway down the psalm, he cries out to the Lord. Having prayed, Lord, cleanse me. He uses all this language which indicates purity. Cleanse me from my sin with hyssop. You purge me, wash me. He wants to be more pure. He's lost his purity. He feels dirty and filthy. And he's grieved before God. And he says, Lord, give me back my joy. Give me back my joy. That's not the words that he used. Return. Let's go to it for a minute because I want to get the word that you use. Psalm 51. And he's broken hearted because he's lost his joy. Because sin takes away our joy. Yeah, here it is. Verse 8. Make me to hear joy and gladness because he lost it. He was miserable in a sin. Verse 12. Here it is. Restore. He had it before. But impurity and sin took it away. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. He's not praying to be saved again. But it's the joyful experience of salvation. That he has experientially lost. He's not feeling it. He feels filthy and dirty. And he's miserable. You might think David would have been living the life there. And he got what he wanted, didn't he? He got Bathsheba. He was like his son Amnon later on. Didn't satisfy him. You see, David didn't discipline his mind that day. He saw the woman and instead of being like Joseph, he ran. Or like Philippians, thinking that which is true and good. He, he went down the line of sin. And it ruined him. So the opposite of that then is purity. Purity brings joy. It does. It does. When you have purity, when God has washed you and he's given you victory over sin, it's a thrill to the soul. And you'll be on your knees giving thanks to God. Praise God for victory over sin. Because purity brings joy. It's a joyful experience. But if you go with me to 1 Timothy, the pleasures of purity, it's not only joy, but it's also usefulness. You see, 2 Timothy and the verse 22 is where we read, flee also youthful lusts. At the end there it speaks about the pure heart. But go to the previous verse, verse 21. He's talking about purity. And look what the Lord says in verse 21. If a man therefore purge himself from these things. And what that means is the previous verse, sin and uh, not which is worldly and, and carnal and ungodly. If a man therefore purge himself from these he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. What that means is a man who is pure or a woman who is pure or a young person who is pure, the Lord will work through. That's what it means. Impurity prevents you being used of God. Like the vinegar. 
and the big blue bottle. Some of you have heard you responding to me. You said, eh, I wouldn't use it when there's sin. You see, you remember that hymn? We cannot be channels of blessing if we constantly trifle with sin. That's the reality. And so you must understand, when we come to the subject of purity, understand what you're running from. Something that will ruin you. Something that will tarnish you. Something that will stop you being used of God. Something that will rob you of your joy. And so when temptation comes, understand it. See it. And this is something to pray for. Lord, help me to see sin the way you see sin. Help me to see it as corrupt. Help me to see it as been wrong. Help me to see it for what it is. Something that will destroy me. And so you want to run away from it. You have something to run from, but you have something to run to. Because you know when you're turning away from sin, you're turning to joy. You're turning to usefulness. You're turning to a life of power with God because you're a vessel that God can use. You see, think about Joseph again. If Joseph would have fell into the arms of his temptress, that would have been it. He wouldn't have been used. Potiphar would have come home and, well, Joseph would have been no more. You see, men and women, Joseph protected himself. He was pure. And so God continued to use him in a mighty way. Don't stop yourself being used of God by your sin tonight. So just in closing then, as we do finish here, Blessed are the pure in heart. Happy are the pure in heart. It is God's will for you to be pure. Know that when you pray for God to sanctify you, make you pure, it's his will. Protect yourself. Pour truth in. Understand the pleasures of being pure. And men and women, that's what worthy of our vocation. Walk worthy of our calling and be like Christ because that is the will of God for you and me. Let's bow together in a word of prayer tonight. Oh Lord, forgive us for our impurity. Forgive us, Lord, for all of our sin and our failures and our faults. Lord, we come to one who is altogether pure. We think in that portion, Lord, where the voice came from heaven and said, this is my beloved son, whom I am well pleased. There was no impurities in Christ, not one. And God, the Father's assessment was that he was perfectly pure and therefore pleasing. Lord, I want to be more like Christ. I know that sin ruins, hinders, destroys. Oh Lord, give us victory. Help us, thy church, to be a pure, sanctified band marching to heaven under the banner of love. And Lord, may we love thee. May we love purity and think and do those things that are good and lovely and pleasing in thy sight. Lord, be with us now tonight. Bless our fellowship. Do us good. We pray for those who have prepared the food. You will bless them. 
And Lord, we pray that you'll bless the food to our bodily use and then take us to our homes in safety. Sanctify us. Save those who are not saved. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.